Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen. 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 You may have a seat, church. Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 3. And we're continuing our series called Running. And really the only point of the series is that there's no neutral in your relationship with Jesus. Either you're running from him or you're running after him. That's just the truth. We all, drifting comes from naturally doing nothing in your walk with Jesus. And that's what we're seeing in this series, this short series in Jonah. So we're in week three. And so we're going to be looking at Jonah three together this morning. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Revived. Revived. And so by definition, reviving means restoring or regaining life. And it's interesting thing about revival is that you can't revive yourself. Do you know what? When it comes to restoring or regaining life, you cannot do that yourself if your life is being taken from you. For example, many of you know, in my previous life, I was, did 15 years in the fire service. And most of the responses, emergencies that we would go to were more the drastic, dramatic, and often didn't have great outcomes. But one memory really sticks out to me. We got called to a jogger who had passed out. And so we arrive, and sure enough, this jogger, this man, was on the ground. So we rushed to him. And he wasn't breathing. And he didn't have a heartbeat. And so in our best attempts to push on his chest and get breath in his lungs, it didn't change the fact that he still wasn't breathing and didn't have a heartbeat. He couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't do anything about it. But what we needed is an outside power source that we couldn't do in our, of ourselves. But he had just enough life in him, specifically electrical activity in his heart, to be able to hook him up to what we know as an automatic external defibrillator and provide a shock to his heart, which restarted his heart. And so this man would ultimately come back to life in our terms, even though he wasn't completely dead. And he's now alive from that moment. But not because of anything we can do. Not because of anything he could have done. He was helpless and hopeless and so were we. We needed something outside of ourselves to restart his heart, to revive him. Which brings us to the point today that we're going to look at, Jonah 3, the need for revival. I wonder if, as we come together, if we can be okay if God does something here in this place in you today. Like, are we ready to allow God to work in ways that are unexpected? And can we just be open to what the Lord's leading in this place? And just specifically, I'll be fully transparent. I am praying and have been praying that God brings a brokenness to you this morning and to me. It's not real encouraging, is it? Good morning. Welcome to the Way Church. I pray that you're broke, yeah. But what I've come to know experientially and biblically is that God brings a brokenness before he starts rebuilding. That's what I want us to see this morning. In Jonah 3, starting in verse 1, 
And to back up real quick for those who haven't been here, Jonah and Jonah 1 got this call, command to the Lord to go to Nineveh to preach against it because their evilness have come up to the Lord. And he refused and ran exactly the opposite way. And through a series of events, he found himself inside of a big fish to which God would sovereignly orchestrate him then being vomited out. And now we find him in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I don't know about you, but if you've been told twice, that's probably not a great thing, right? I've been married long enough to know if I've been told twice, probably not a great thing. He says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. And what we know from the first calling of Jonah is that Jonah was called to this place because the deeds and actions of the people of Nineveh were evil. So with that, let's talk about sin and salvation for a minute, shall we? Is that exciting to you? God's wrath needs to be understood and what our sin deserves. Romans 1.18 tells us, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is, unrighteousness is our sin. So God's wrath is against the sin that we've all found ourselves in. And this is the bad news because we all have this sin issue. Romans 3.23 tells us this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is a lot of people. For you non-Greek scholars, that all means everyone. Always, of all time. We all have this sin issue. John 3.36 tells us the one who believes in the Son, that is Jesus, has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. We don't sing too many songs about wrath. We did this morning. But we need to rightly understand sin and what our sin deserves. That's God's wrath because he is just. He is righteous. It says whoever believes, and this is not head knowledge, and we talk about this a lot, and I will continue to talk about this a lot because I think we in church life get this completely wrong. We think because we know about something that it means something, especially about God. We know these things about Jesus, and we think that places us in a right relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't. Your knowledge doesn't do anything for you unless the information you know about Jesus brings transformation in your life, meaning do you trust him? Do you trust him? In every aspect of your life, do you trust that his ways are better than your ways? That we've all sinned and fallen short of the goodness of God, and by his grace, he has made you alive. Do you trust him with everything in your life? Because this is where I'm convinced revival starts. Because we talk about God's wrath, but we also talk about God's revival. Ephesians 2 gives us a great description of all this. Verse 1, it tells us that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, we all were needing reviving, all of us, at some point in our lives. But it says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. God did that at the moment that we trust, that we believe he's made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead. 
Jesus is a rescuer who gives us revival. Verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast. And what we see is revival is received to anyone who realizes their need to be rescued. I love the alls and anyone in Scripture. One, all and everyone has fallen in sin, but all and anyone who believes receives forgiveness and salvation in Christ Jesus, new life brought from death to life. So we talk about sin, but we also have to talk about salvation. So let me ask you this. How does God choose to save people? If you've been around this church any time, for any period of time, you should know this answer. How does God choose to save you? What method does he choose? By grace through faith, through Jesus alone, but how? The method specifically, I know this is, it's you. God chooses people to go to people to save people. Now don't get this twisted because God saves, but it's through us, through his people going to people that are far from him. That is his way he's chosen. This is his plan A. And as it's been said, there is no backup plan. There is no plan B. It's through us. People are God's rescue plan for saving people. So how does this translate to your workplace? Think about this. In your workplace, how are those people around you going to be saved? In your school. So it's back to school time. Some of us have already started. How are the people in your school going to be saved? How are people in your social circles going to be saved? Well, Romans 10, Paul tells us by way of several questions that we've seen a couple weeks ago. He says, how then can they call on him who they, they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And if you reverse engineer these questions, we get the saved are sent to preach the unsaved so that they can hear and believe. Believe what? It's the gospel. The gospel that you were saved by is the gospel you are sent with. That is, there is a God. I don't care what you believe, there is a God. And this God created you to be with him, yet our sin, your sin and my sin, has separated us, has broken that relationship, and we're helplessly stuck in this condition that we're in. We can do not anything of ourselves to bring us back in the right relationship with him. Our sins are like filthy, our good deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. But paying the price for sin, God did what we could not do. That Jesus, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we were supposed to die, rose and conquered death, and now stands interceding for all those who would believe. And so by faith alone, in Jesus' death alone, that that blood on the cross that was shed for you, somehow counted for you, your faith in that, brings salvation, forgiveness of sins, and restores the relationship that you were meant to have in the first place. And that life starts at the moment you believe, that you trust, and seals you forever in the right relationship with the Lord. This is a gospel that you were saved by, and that you're sent with. So how are people in your workplace, your school, and your social circles going to be saved? First, they have to hear it. So who's going to tell them? Trusting someone else to do that? You know, I hear this question, what about the innocent people who have never heard? 
That's a valid question. I get the heart of it. Those people in the remotest place that we can think of who have never heard the gospel and they die without hearing the gospel, what happens to them? They're innocent. The Bible says, Romans 1.20, that all people are without excuse. All of them. And think about it from the other way. And I heard David Platt say this, and I love it. Think about it from the opposite way. We know that Jesus tells us to go and preach the gospel, make disciples. Throughout the whole Bible, it tells his people to go, go, and go to declare God's glory. But if we think that's not true for some reason, though it's explicitly clear in the Bible, we think that if they don't hear the gospel, somehow they're innocent, then wouldn't our first question be when you encounter that person in the remotest village in the remotest part of the world say, hey, have you heard, ever heard the name of Jesus? Well, no, no, I haven't. Good. Like, if anybody tries to tell you about Jesus, run the other way. Because as soon as you hear, then you're guilty. I mean, it's just, it's just stupid. That makes no sense. And it's totally contradictory to the entirety of Scripture itself and how God reveals himself. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the message about Christ. Romans 1, 16 tells us, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel saves through us proclaiming, but the God works through that in the way that he wills. Think about it this way. Think about the people who are most passionate about causes. You name the cause. Whether it's fighting cancer, diabetes, autism awareness. The people that are most passionate about these causes are the people that have been impacted or affected by these same issues. So doesn't it follow that those who are most passionate about Jesus are the ones that experience the reviving that Jesus brings? Should be. Which makes Jonah the perfect person to go and proclaim to Nineveh their need to repent turn from their sin and believe to turn to God. Because he himself, while sinking in sin, both had God's judgment against him and also received God's mercy. Bring that reviving physically. He was literally dying inside of a fish and he needed God to do something he couldn't do himself. Experiencing God's reviving while in the depths of his despair. And like the prodigal son that we saw last week, Jonah was dead, but now alive. And it's interesting that Jonah experienced about God what he would eventually throw back into God's face, as we'll see next week in Jonah chapter 4, that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and relents from sending disaster. So what we see here is that Jonah went, though seemingly reluctantly obedient, Leads us to verse 4. It says, Jonah set out the first day to walk of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. We've got to be careful not to miss what the Lord is trying to show us in Jonah's journey. Jonah's heart was much more like ours and much less like God's, if we're honest. See, he did not love his enemies. He absolutely despised and hated his enemies, these people of Nineveh. So though he obediently went to Nineveh, 
which really stemmed from the Lord's correction, we have no reason to believe that Jonah realized or experienced any change in his heart. And as I think through this, I think about even when I was a kid, and I'd get in trouble for not doing a chore and be told, like, go clean your room, right? And so young Josh would go in there, and I'll clean my room, kick that over there and throw that over there. Oh, it'll be clean and throw this against, the, you know. I was obedient, right? I was cleaning my room, but I was an obedient little brat. That's what I get from Jonah here. Jonah's like, I'll go. I'll go. And what's interesting about Jonah's message is that all we know from what he said is literally probably what this, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. We have no reason to believe he said anything more because his heart posture really was hoping that they would be demolished. Jonah did what God said but still had sin, the hatred overshadowing his heart. And unlike the Apostle Paul that we see, the Apostle Paul who would boldly go into the synagogues, he would boldly go in with the gospel in hopes to persuade people to repent and believe, Jonah seems to be given just enough information in order to be obedient in hopes that yet they still burn. Which the Bible says a lot about that type of heart posture. 1 John 4.20 tells us, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. James 3, 9 and 10 tells us, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. A love from the Lord translates into love of people. All people, all the time. I don't care who they are and what they did to you. That's what scripture says. And it's interesting, this term demolished that he proclaims also means overturned, but also means transformed. And so as Jonah was hoping, yeah, God, burn this place down. I'm going, but I hope you burn this place down. Demolish them. God was going to ultimately transform them. God would still accomplish his reviving plan through Jonah's rebellious heart posture. God would bring this people to see the seriousness of their sin, the depths of their depravity, and seeing that their wickedness is deserving of God's wrath. And what we need to see here is the root of experiencing revival is realizing our great need for God. I just want to pause just for a minute, and I wonder if we're honest. And listen, I know church is no place for honesty. I know that. But do you need God? Do you need Jesus? Do you need him? I mean, every second of every minute, of every day, of every hour, of every week, of every month, of every year, do you need him? I don't think we pause enough to really meditate on how much we really need the Lord. So I encourage you to just think and pray God, do I need you? Do I know that I need you? Reveal my neediness to me. And throughout history, we see God accomplishing amazing movements in masses of people 
who have turned and trusted, realizing that their need of God was great, and then receiving God's revival. And we go throughout so many various revivals that have been experienced throughout the world, and we don't have near enough time. But just a couple. The China Revival, roughly from 1980s to 2000s, really happened after the missionaries were kicked out. In about 1980, they say maybe about 2 million Christians were in all of China. But by the year 2000, they estimate that was closer to then 75 million. It's amazing to me that God removed missionaries and then did an amazing work so that only he could take the glory. God's the one that brings revival. But it comes through our dependence, our neediness of him. Going back a little further, we know of the Jesus movement from the 60s into the 70s, starting in California, where we saw people turning from the empty desires of drugs and sex to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, taking the Bible at what it said. And from that birth, the Calvary Chapel churches. Before that, in the mid-1850s, the prayer meeting revival of New York City. And this is one of my favorites, to be quite honest. It began with a businessman, normal guy, with a burden to pray. So he held a prayer meeting at noon on a Wednesday in the heart of New York City. He posted a sign that simply said, prayer meeting, 12 to 1 o'clock, stop 5, 10, or 20 minutes, or the whole hour as your time admits. And the first meeting he held was a huge success. Six people showed up. Funny how we deem success, right? That's probably pretty successful. Six people. So no doubt, maybe discouraged. But his motive was just to pray. So six people showed up. And so he held it again next week. 20 people showed up. Held it again the following week, Wednesday at noon. 40 people showed up. At this, they had to move into a bigger room. And then he made this weekly prayer gathering a daily prayer gathering, which came to be known as a Fulton Street prayer meeting. And amazing that this week that these changes happened, that the nation would suffer a financial, economic impact like had never been seen. Banks were closed, men were without work, and families were going hungry. And a short time later, this prayer meeting was now filling the entire building. And it was said there was about 3,000 people who were now attending this prayer meeting. About two years later, it's been said that millions would come to faith, turning and trusting in Jesus. came from one man with a burden to pray. I've seen their great need. Prior to that was the Second Great Awakening, early 1800s. Prior to that was the First Great Awakening that spread through the American colonies, about 1725 to 1760. Before that was the Pentecost Revival. Are you familiar with this one? Sure you are. Acts 2? Yeah. Read your Bibles. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Peter stood before the whole Jewish community following Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and said, Therefore, let the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He says, you bunch of sinners, you did this. So what do you do? What do you do with, when you're confronted with your sin? When God reveals the sin that you're in, what do you do with it? Do we justify it? 
Or do we respond to God's gracious action by allowing us to see the sin that we're in? The crowd, when they heard this, it says that they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? So what do you do when you're faced with your sin? What do you do? Peter said simply, repent and be baptized. Repentance here means faith and turn. You cannot re-repent without God moving his spirit in you to show the severity of your sin and your need for a savior. This is repent and believe. And then what follows throughout all New Testament is baptism. What should we do? You have faith, and faith leads to action. That's what we see here in Nineveh. They fasted. They were mourning because they believed God would do what he said. And it says in Acts 2.41, So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. And that word baptism is water submersion, as it is in all New Testament. We don't baptize people with the Holy Spirit. God does that. We then follow in obedience to the Lord's great commission and baptize those who believe of obedience. And so of all these revivals and all the more throughout history that we don't have time to cover, maybe the greatest revival of all time happened here in Nineveh. How God just brought the masses all at one time to believe in faith. And we see that revivals are always accompanied with a response. Because what God does inwardly flows outwardly. Each person was transformed in the city of Nineveh which resulted in the city being transformed by the Lord. Which brings us to verse 6. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And I love this. Notice from the king to the cows, God's revival was sweeping through the city. You see, seeing their sin led them to repent in hopes that God would relent from the wrath that they deserved because of their wickedness. And so the king asked, who knows? Who knows? God may do this. Who knows? You know who knew? Jonah. Jonah knew. That's why he didn't want to go. He wanted these people to suffer from their evilness. You know who also knows? Who, who also knows is God's people. We should know how God responds to a humble, repentant heart. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from 
all unrighteousness. If we confess. It doesn't say if we resist, if we justify. You know, but they, they deserved it, right? They cut me off. They're going slow in the fast lane. I mean, yeah, God's wrath, come down. It's 45 through here. We know that God is faithful to cleanse us and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. I had a friend that did some serious jail time, and he was just saying, I just don't know how God can forgive these people. I mean, you think of the most heinous crime, most evil wickedness that he was in jail with. I just don't know how God can forgive him. I don't either. But he does. If you humble yourself and repent, he does. Paul in Romans 7 says, What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And we all have to come to this point to see how wretched, how black-hearted sinners we are. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Who will rescue us? And Paul wasn't asking like, I just don't know. Paul was asking to set up Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who rescues us from the depths of our depravity and the seriousness of our sin? Jesus. He will. He does. But first, we have to humble ourselves in seeing our sin and turn to him and repent, asking for forgiveness. Which leads to verse 10. It says, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he threatened them with, and he did not do it. This is what I need us to see here. God is patient with you, with me, people in Nineveh, people throughout history. God is patient. Second Peter 9, 3, 9 tells us that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, a true heart of repentance is very honoring and pleasing to God. It is an act of worship. You know, we clarify worship by what we sing. That's an aspect. Worship is also praying. It's also reading and hearing the word of God. Worship is all these things. And as Jonah tells us in chapter 4 again, God is gracious. God is compassionate. Praise God, he is slow to anger. I don't know about you, but this week, I, I could have been, God would have been very justified to be swift in punishing me for my sinfulness. But he doesn't get angry like I do. I'm so thankful for that. He is slow to anger. Abounding in faithful love means his love doesn't end. And it overflows more than you can ever imagine. And he is one who relents from sending disaster. So I wonder about us here today. I wonder how many of us need to be revived. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've never trusted in Jesus and you're still hopelessly, helplessly stuck in your sin. And you're just trying to do 
better and do your best and just work your way through the mess. You can't, you won't, you never will be. Or maybe you just want to get yourself cleaned up enough because you have the sin issue that you know you have, but I need to fix this first before I come to God because he'll never accept me. And you're right, he'll never accept you because of your goodness. He accepts you because of what Jesus did for you. So we come to him with our grossness, our filthiness, our black, wicked hearts. We come to him with our garbage. Because if there's any other way that we can clean ourselves up, Jesus would not have died on that cross. If there's any other way. But there's not. The only way that you can have your relationship restored and sins forgiveness through Jesus' death, that blood that was shed for you. And by faith that somehow that counted for me, you will be saved. But without that, let me be clear, that God's wrath remains on you. It's going to be realized one day. See, we can't understand God's amazing grace that we sung about with the first song we sang this morning without realizing the seriousness of God's wrath and the depth of his love. So I wonder, who needs to be revived today? Maybe you've been following Jesus, but you've been straying. Maybe you have this sin issue that's just beating you up. You feel like you're getting your teeth kicked in by the world and just feeling beat down. Do you need to be reviving today? That refreshing that comes from the Holy Spirit moving and filling you. Are you aware of your own sin? All of us. Are you aware of your sin? Because if you are, then what we're going to do next is going to bring a whole level of worship. Because what we're going to do, we're just going to enter a time of prayer. And it's going to look different than any other time we've ever closed our worship gathering in the history of this church. The long legacy of this church. All two and a half years of us. I'm going to invite you to respond right where you are. I'm not going to call our band up yet. We're not going to have our prayer team out yet. Because I'm convinced all of us, God's going to reveal sin in our lives that we need to turn from and turn to him to for forgiveness. And so like I started this very clear, I'm asking that God brings a brokenness when we're faced in our sinfulness. So then we can see the depths of his grace and forgiveness and love and washes us clean when we come to him in humility, saying, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I wonder if we need him. Because when God shows you your sin, you realize how much you need him. So we're going to do, we're just going to pray. And listen, I'm going to ask you to pray as the Lord leads. I'm asking God to show you your need for repentance and the goodness of his grace. And this could mean several things for you. Maybe you're going to pray with someone around you. Praise God. Maybe you need to kneel at your chair. It's a very biblical expression of a humble heart. Do that. See, what happens in these moments is that we start thinking about everybody around us. And there's a very healthy aspect of that when it would come together, but there's also a damaging aspect when it influences you more than God does. This is a time that you respond to what Lord's doing in your heart. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm just going to allow some quiet time for you to wrestle with Lord what he's shown you and to resolve those issues out of his grace that he's shown you in his life. And knowing that when you confess your sin, he is faithful 
and righteous to forgive you of all of it. All of it. And then I'm going to invite our band up. And then we're going to worship some more. And then we're going to have a prayer team. We can pray some more. But we're going to continue to worship as we close this worship gathering together. So right now I'm going to invite you to pray. Pray with me. And just respond to what the Lord's doing in your life right now. Father, right now I ask that you reveal any blind spots that we have in our life. And as you reveal these things in our lives, that you bring healing and hope and restoring and reviving in the way only you can. Lord, show us our, our need for you. Right now, I ask that you create a heart of worship as we come to you realizing our great need for a rescuer, a redeemer, the Jesus who brings life, restores, revives. Lord, we just ask that you revive our heart right now. As we see the depths of our sin, that you bring us the hope and security of salvation. Knowing that even though we were dead in our sins, that you have made us alive by faith alone and Christ alone, by your amazing grace alone. And now we stand as children of yours. And that will never change. Remind us as we go through the rest of this day, this week, that when we experience trials, struggles, we know that you're faithful. Help us resist the lies that come from the enemy and sometimes the lies that come from ourselves. That spew condemnation as because what we had done or what we did. Let us remember that because of our faith that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we just ask you pour out your spirit here. Lead us in worship. Humble our hearts. Remove any pride. Remove any temptations that we have to say we can do this on our own. Peel back the layers and expose our great need for you. Lord, I ask that you do a work in us individually, that you do a work in us as a church father. And only then will we see 
you start doing amazing works in this community, Father. So as we pray for a revival in us, we pray a revival in this area where you have placed us. Renew our urgency to know you and to make you known, Father, because you are good. Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing in this place right now. We ask that you do more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.